Hello everyone, my name is always Asmal. Welcome to another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat, a show where we talk career experiences, entrepreneurship and investments. The main aim is to show that there's more than one way to be successful other than just climbing the corporate ladder. We are live on LinkedIn and YouTube and the show will be available on podcast by tomorrow. So don't forget to like, subscribe and click on that notification bell to get automatically notified when the next episode comes out. If you are joining us live, drop a one in the comments so that we know we're not talking to ourselves. And if you're watching the recording, drop a two in the comments. My guest for this week is Nadia Musaji, an engineer, serial entrepreneur, founder of many businesses, uh, including um, Hub, which is an accelerator that focuses on accelerating female-led entrepreneurship in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Nadia, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me and looking forward to the conversations. Let's jump straight into the meat of it. Tell us your story. Where do you come from? And even outside of work, who is Nadia Musaji? Give us that backstory. Um, sure. So um, I'm an engineer, uh, a civil engineer by background. Um, I always say I'm an entrepreneur by passion. Um, I'm wear many, you know, people say wear, wear, you wear many hats, I wear many scarves. Um, and so I'm also an um, investor, also a mom of two, um, kind of thinking about how do we build diverse and equitable worlds. So what I do on a daily basis is my company, WOMHUB, works on four things. One, we build talent for the engineering and tech industry. So how do we upskill um, diverse talent um, and a focus on women and girls around the world. And so, so far we've worked with about 130,000 women and girls in about 30 countries. Um, and it's all around how do we give people access to digital skills? How do we pe get people into engineering and tech? Um, how do we give um, young people opportunities now that set them up for their futures? Um, the second thing we do is we run incubators and accelerators to support female entrepreneurs. Um, and for us, STEM is actually science, technology, engineering, mining, and manufacturing. Um, and so, um, and that's because we work with you know big industries. Um, the third thing is we build incredible co-working and innovation spaces. So we've got one in Cape Town, one in Johannesburg, about to launch one in East London, and it's. Um, really incredible because we have the latest technology in the spaces. So it's a proper tech hub um, that we've created that is female focused and it's the first of its kind in the world. Um, and the last is a venture capital fund. It's a $30 million fund called 535 Ventures that invests in women in tech. Um, so I like to say we work from start to exit to support women um, all along the STEM value chain. Um, and my role is around um, two things, one on um, partnerships and strategic partnerships and relationships. Um, so all our partners kind of come through the work that I do. And then the second thing is product innovation. And I'm really passionate about kind of innovating on new things, um, trialing, testing. Um, in fact, I would like my official title to be chief tinkering officer because I like to kind of tinker and see what weird and wonderful things we can create to create a better world. I mean, that gives us a good understanding, but maybe on the weekends, okay, you mentioned you're a mom of two, but other than that? Um, on the weekends, um, I actually just love to be in my house on my couch. Um, um, uh, my husband uh, and I co-own a group of Turkish restaurants, so I love food um, as well. So, um, you know, we try and I try and eat as much food as, as humanly possible and just actually spending time with kind of my family. Um, and because and ultimately, you know, um, 
relationships are really important to me, whether they are in the corporate world, whether they in my inner circle, whether, you know, family and friends and, and kids. And actually, you know, people who have kids will know this, that your weekends are actually just spent at kids' birthday parties. Um, <laughs> that's where they go. <laughs> you say that I'm organizing one this weekend, so I didn't understand. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> uh, you know, big kids' parties are just, I mean, that, that's a whole business model right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. But maybe just jumping into, I mean, like you mentioned, you're a civil engineer. So, I mean, moving from running from a civil engineer to running an accelerator, uh, that's probably not the normal career trajectory. Normally, I know what, what do people do. They normally work for another civil engineer, maybe open their own practice. How did you end up here? Sure, and um, and I always think about you know how do how do entrepreneur how do entrepreneurs kind of form? Um, are we born? Are we created? Um, and I always said that when have we built out of pain? Um, so, you know, as a civil engineer going to industry um, many years ago, um, and I guess I'm aging myself, um, but I started out with um, kind of being, you know, one of 10% of my class were women, um, you know, going into industry where you were um, very much a minority. And so some of the challenges faced by women going into the workforce, especially in an industry like engineering. Um, and, had kind of really terrible experiences and wanted to leave engineering and go and work in kind of management consultancy. It sounded like a better place for women, um, but realized that if everybody left, um, nothing would change in the sector. And so actually set out almost, you know, two decades now to be able to kind of change the engineering industry to make it more equitable to women. Um, and so I actually did have an engineering career alongside a nonprofit called Womenj that we founded. So um, I worked as an engineer on some of the most incredible projects, um, including, um, and I'm a specialist transportation engineer, so I've got a master's in transport engineering, and I worked in rolling out um, some of the public transport systems that you see today um, in George, um, How Train, um, uh, in Cape Town, and then um, during the FIFA World Cup that we were hosting, I was uh, responsible for VIP transport operations for Cape Town Stadium. Um, so very, very different career path to what people think engineers do. Um, you know, I've always been in, you know, in kind of more the transportation design and logistics side, not kind of road engineering. Um, and, uh, and so there's, there's different ways to, to kind of get into different industries. And um, after kind of the World Cup, I got headhunted into a development consulting role and we focused on public transport rollouts and climate change. Um, and at the time, my nonprofit organization was growing and we were scaling operations in South Africa to Kenya. Um, I then had to take this moment to go, um, you know, things are really busy with WOM Inge, uh, which was the, the, the precursor to WOM Hub, my company. And um, I also started a, a hijabi fashion company at the same time, plus doing my day job and something had to give. Um, and so we, I decided to give up the day job um, and focus on, uh, you know, um, supporting women and girls through STEM interventions, through Womenj and my hijabi fashion company. Um, but then realized that my hijabi fashion company had to give as well, it wasn't as, um, you know, successful as I would have liked. I think I was too early just before that full hijabi fashion craze and also learned the key lesson as an entrepreneur that likes on Instagram and Facebook doesn't 
equate to revenue. Um, and so, you know, um, you know, now that I think about it, I would have done it completely differently. Um, but, you know, was doing women um, and, and in the nonprofit space, but the nonprofit world goes through like ebbs and flows in terms of funding. And we then had to pivot out of nonprofit into a for-profit space because we wanted to create financial sustainability within our organization. And this was the way in which we could do it. So, you know, six years ago, started WOMHUB, um, my business partner and I, and I've kind of built it um, and scaled it. Um, and so if I think about like my career path, you know, going from pure engineering to into logistics, into events, into fashion, into um, uh, supporting other entrepreneurs, you know, when we started our company, um, firstly, there was very little capital available. Nobody would fund or invest in you. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of skills that we didn't have that we kind of learned the really hard way. And um, on the incubator side and supporting women has always been around, I face the pain. I don't want somebody else to have to, pay, to face it. And I paid the school fees the hard way. It was very expensive. So, you know, um, let me make it easier for, for the next woman who would like to start a business, who would like to thrive in specifically the STEM industry, which is really harsh industries, to be able to thrive. Um, and that's how you see me ending up where I am today. Uh, sounds like I mean you paid your school fees and you say so you might have done things differently, but I think that's the, all part of the learning, I guess. Yes. <laughs> I noticed that you're also part of the World Economic Forum, or you've been part of it for nine years. Talk to us about your experience there and how it shaped your thinking. Firstly, sure. how do you just get part? How do you just become part of the world? It's not like, yeah, explain that. <laughs> uh, so, so the World Economic Forum has different layers, um, and they had a, um, they have a layer called the Global Shapers, which were people under thirty-three. Uh, it's a very random age de designation, but whatever. Um, and if you're under 33, kind of, but really focused on being a change maker in your um, society, in your community, in your city. And the Global Shapers are kind of these young people in hubs all around the world. And I joined the Global Shapers in the Cape Town hub um, and then kind of led the Cape Town hub um, as a, what they call a curator. Um, and when you kind of really being active in um, kind of community building in um, politics in uh, economics and and so you know um, as an engineer I always kind of push others who are in this space to go hey are we involved in these discussions uh, and everybody goes oh no Nadia I'm an engineer I can't talk politics and I go you know engineering is political every time a uh, you know you have a change of government and that infrastructure gets discussed if you as engineers are not discussing infrastructure it's who is right um, the work that we do is highly political um, and sometimes polit you know um, radicalized right so somebody said, you know, infrastructure is supposed to be neutral. And I'm like, no, infrastructure can be racist because, you know, you've got haves and have nots. Infrastructure can be sexist. It's, you know, uh, because the designers are, are not diverse. And so, you know, kind of getting into um, a think tank um, where the World Economic Forum been kind of very active, very vocal in terms of gender um, in this space. Um, as a global shaper, got um, invited to go to the World Economic Forum in Davos, in Switzerland, um, spoke on a number of 
sessions and panels around, um, you know, supporting women in STEM, being a Muslim woman in a very highly polarized world um, and, and being an entrepreneur. Um, I then also went to Summer Davos, which is in China and really focused on the technology um, and emerging technology. And so, you know, being in the tech industry um, right now and working on kind of leveraging, you know, technology solutions um, to democratize access uh, for, for people, um, kind of got those opportunities. And then I was on a, a, a think tank called the Global Future Council for Gender, Education and the Future of Work. Um, and so being on that think tank, um, basically helping to guide countries on you know what is their gender strategy look like what does their what does the future of work look like um and it was interesting it was kind of pre-covid um and so you know the future has fundamentally shifted um you know what does hybrid working look like we were talking earlier around you know whether we like working from home or not um are we productive or not i find myself very productive in my office i really want to uh, come to my office, but a lot of people just want to, going to be in their pajamas on Zoom calls. Um, and that's cool as well. But the future is changing um, and how people work, when people work, why people are working and who they're working for is fundamentally shifting. Um, and so kind of was was uh, on that kind of thought leadership process with the World Economic Forum. And I guess if you are really an active citizen engaged in different conversations, you know, you start to kind of navigate into these spaces and then you find yourself in really weird and wonderful spaces uh, to be able to discuss this with really interesting people and also not so interesting people. <laughs> I suppose you put yourself out there if that's a lesson for, for anyone listening. <laughs> for the audience, we'll be responding to questions towards the end. So please add your questions to the comment section now so that we don't miss them. So on top of your day job, I see you are a member of the advisory board of the UCT engineering faculty and uh, as well as being uh, on the boards of various organizations and each organization has a different focus. So where do you find the time and the mind space? Because from what I see, each organization is fulfilling a different need. So you almost need to have a different way of thinking when you're dealing with each organization. How do you find the mind space? So, so I'm a slave to my calendar. Um, <laughs> and, and, if, and, and if you look at my calendar, it's very colorful. Um, I guess to kind of represent why I'm a very colorful person. Um, but every color represents um, a, a, a workplace. Um, even my kids have a color, color in my calendar, um, right? Because I think that's really important. And I, I was joking the other day with my team members and I said, you know, um, if you look at people who are successful, they become laser focused on, on achieving their goals and they are able to shut out the noise. Um, and think about whose agenda you're responding to, right? So if you get an email right now that they're like, oh, you need to respond to this. Actually, it's their agenda, not yours. Maybe you had a whole different plan for your day. And that kind of sometimes throws you out and then you actually never get back to what you wanted to start. Whereas I have basically decided that I'm going to have this hyper-focus. Um, everything in my diary is color-coded. Um, I've got spaces for everything and I have to make time for everything, right? And... Um, and so kind of being able to bring myself into that headspace to say, okay, for the next three hours, I'm in that board meeting. This is what the prep looks like. Um, and, and then when you start to cut out the kind of the noise and the fluffiness and understand that you've got your own agenda that you're working towards, you become way more effective um, and efficient in being able to kind of navigate different worlds. And I think for me, that's kind of been the, the real secret. Oh, yeah, you, I think those are good, good tips. Um, you mentioned... Earlier, so 
what are some of the the main stumbling blocks in getting more females into the different STEM streams? I know you mentioned obviously that it was it was or maybe is a visible boys club, but uh, do you have any practical tips that maybe what people or what normal people can do to fix the problem? So firstly, I think a lot of people don't understand what engineering is or what engineers actually do, right? And it sounds like this really big, difficult thing, and you've got to be good at maths and science. And the minute people hear maths and science, they just kind of have this blocker. Um, and I always like to say that um, there was nothing super special about me. Um, you know, I don't love maths and science. I mean, I love cupcakes and a good mutton curry, and I love shoes. I don't really love maths and science. Um, and so to become an engineer, you don't actually need to love it. You need to be able to understand it and apply it. Um, and that's actually what I, you know, the sometimes what we get caught up in the, it's too big, it's too difficult, so I can't do it. And I think that like, like, can we move away from those preconceived notions of who can't and can't can do engineering? That's, I think, the first thing. I think the, th the second thing specifically around gender is, is that um, for a long time we had specific gender roles and things that women were good at and things that men were good at. Um, that is actually not necessarily true. There's no biological traits when it comes to careers, right? But um, before there was this idea that engineers had to go in a hard hat on site somewhere very remote, far from their families or on a factory plant. And so they were far away or in dangerous and difficult environments. These days, most engineers just sit behind laptops. Um, and so you still have some engineers that can go to site and, and do whatever, but most of the time we are sitting um, in meetings in front of screens. And so I always talk about kind of primary engineering versus tertiary engineering, which is what we do today. And um, and so really kind of making sure that people know that it's a career for them. Um, and, and from a, a tech perspective, um, you know, I do a lot of um, kind of career coaching um, and, and conversations with lots of, of, of young people and people just don't put them in the right pathway. There's still the, if you if you want to be successful, you must be a doctor, you must be a lawyer, you must be a, a CA, you must be a, you know, whatever. But actually there's so much opportunity in the tech industry, uh, in the engineering industry and the barriers to entry has been lowered because the tech industry moves so quickly. Um, and a whole lot of new jobs are created there. So I think, you know, from an everyday perspective, can we give access to people? And I think that's, if you think about it, you, you, you were saying, you know, I'm involved in so many different boards, uh, but actually when I look at what's the golden thread, it's around how do we create a more equitable world, right? So in engineering, how do we democratize access to engineering education? Um, in the tech industry, how do we give access to people to technologies that they would never have access to? Um, and so that's the kind of um, messaging I want to give out there around gender. Um, and that is, is that actually engineering is a career fall. And when we have diverse teams, so not just women, but people of color, people from different backgrounds, we start to create more equitable worlds. And that for me is really important. And, and do you have any tips for the person in the street or something that they can help guide the youngsters? Or is there anything that, that we can do? So if you know, and, and, and before we would have said, if you wanted to get into kind of engineering or tech, you had to go to university, you get a computer science degree, you get a PhD, whatever. These days you don't have to. Um, you know, kids spend so much time on their phones 
And actually, I don't want you to just be playing games and becoming users of technology. I'd love you to go and figure out how to become designers of technology. Every Ivy League university in the world has put their courses online. So instead of kind of scrolling through like millions of, you know, Instagram reels and TikTok videos, um, maybe spend an hour a day upskilling yourself on artificial intelligence or what is cybersecurity or what is cloud computing, right? And so when you start to actually, and, and that's what I'm saying is, is that you could take Harvard's introduction to artificial intelligence. You can do Yale University's machine learning. You can do all of these things um, and it's free. And unless you want to get a certificate that says that you went to Harvard University, you pay the $500, but you actually, the course itself is absolutely free. And that's the, the messaging is, is that we are now at a time where young people, old people, anybody can actually learn anything online. Um, and it's around, you know, how do we make sure that people have access to this so that they're not left behind in this tech-enabled future? So access to an internet connection and you should, that's the main thing. Yeah. Exactly. And it actually helps a little bit of a blue sky question that you are uh, guiding me that way is you mentioned AI and cybersecurity specifically. I noticed that it's one of the focuses of UMHAB. Um, so what's your view on where AI is going and how it will impact, uh, how it will impact us most in South Africa? So, I mean, I always say, you know, people are always surprised that, you know, AI is coming, it's going to take our jobs. And actually your jobs were taken by AI probably 20 years ago. Um, so <laughs> it's now because everybody who found out about ChatGPT that, you know, that AI is big. But we've had artificial intelligence for a very long time. And actually, if you go into the big factories in the world, you'll actually see that very little is actually run by human beings. You don't have this guy filling your soap in your soapbox, right? It's, it's actually it's all machines. It's all artificial intelligence. Um, and so for me, it's around how do you embrace it and leverage it, right? So, um, and that's what, you know, we teach is one, how do you think about using ChatGPT or other apps like that, that leverage artificial intelligence to make your day easier so that you can have the time to actually do things that matter to you, right? That you can spend more time with your kids that you, you know, before I used to get, I had to write, you know, articles or, you know, I had to write a, a proposal. Now I can go ChatGPT or write all of these things for me and I will review it. And it writes it in 10 seconds, right? So what was taking me three hours to do is now taking me 30 minutes. Right. And so the two and a half hours I can actually spend, you know, doing things that I absolutely love to do. Um, so that's the efficiency that, you know, around um, artificial intelligence. But I guess my caution around it is the cybersecurity part. Um, and we've put our lives online. We've put our kids online without actually thinking around what is the safety um, and what are the safeguards um, online? And unfortunately, we live in a world where not everybody comes into a, an online space with um, all well intentions. And so for me, the cybersecurity piece is how is it that we are able to educate people around um, online safety and good cyber hygiene? Um, you know, what happens online is people can spew hatred to you, things that nobody would like shout at you in the street, but they're able to say this to you in a cyber way. Um, and I've been an, ex you know, experienced cyber bully and cyber hatred uh, for some of the things that I've said and, you know, been tried to be silenced as an activist uh, around gender. And, um, and so for me, it's really around you know, how do we make sure that sometimes what's happening online doesn't lead to offline incidents, right? And more and more you're starting to see that. So how do we make sure that people are not make, like, so I personally don't put pictures of my kids 
uh, I don't put pictures of, I'll tell you where I ate after. I've, I'm a later grand person, right? I, um, so you're like, oh, Nadia is, is at the restaurant. I'm like, no, I'm not actually at the restaurant. I ate at the restaurant five hours ago. I'm not there any longer, right? So I never do live check-ins. And, and so it's around how do we create the safety for ourselves and especially as women. And then also my kids haven't given me the permission to, to create this digital footprint for them. Um, and so, you know, how am I very conscious? So, yes, I have kids who only ever see the back of their heads if I'm posting anything about my family. Um, and so it's about being really conscious around the relationships that we have with technology um, and what we are putting out there. And so, if the, you know, what I love about the working both in AI and cybersecurity is kind of bringing both to say leverage the best out of technology, but understand that there's the worst out there and how do you protect yourself from it? And sometimes you don't even realize what you're putting out there. I've, I've got this running app that puts out the map of where you, you've trained. And yes. if you look at other people, if you look at other people, you can see, okay, they, they keep running here every day. So there must be something that it's very easy to follow. To, 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 yeah, it's dangerous. It can be dangerous. It's really, it's scary, right? Because then you start to get like black mirror stuff, right? Where you're like, <laughs> My goodness, if somebody's about to kidnap me, they know exactly where I gym. They know exactly where I run. They know exactly where I eat, um, right? And so it's uh, where my kids go to school, where I shop, where I, you know, what I eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, you know, we, we're giving this information very freely out to, to social media platforms that have a whole lot of information about us, which becomes very scary indeed. I don't see any questions coming through from the audience, so I think you've answered all the questions in your discussion. Are there any last few words from you or anything we didn't discuss that you'd like the audience to know? So, so my parting shots, and I think the, the last pieces really is um, never in, in the world that we lived in an age that has so much access. And I know it can be very overwhelming in terms of access and opportunity, right? But for me, I think, you know, the work that we're doing is around how do we actually bridge digital divides? How do we bridge economic and social divides? Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, the world needs all kinds of people. But I think, you know, if we start to leverage technology um, in smart and cool ways, we will start to see those shifts in equality. Right. And I think that's really the, the end goal. Um, and, um you know, the work that we're doing at WOMHUB, um, we've got these really incredible innovation spaces um, that are in Cape Town and Johannesburg that we've partnered with Cisco, which is a big um, American technology company to bring the latest Cisco technology into the hubs. In fact, I did this, I'm not a big kind of, uh, you know, social media unboxing person, but I did this unboxing because some of these units were the first to land in Africa and we were the first to get them in our hubs. And um, to be able to, and, and Yes, the tech is really cool, and I love tech. So, I, you know, I'm, I got excited. I was like getting a candy store, and all these boxes were arriving. Um, but when I think about what this does, uh, we've got kind of secure fintech labs, we've got VR labs for virtual reality. So if you're an entrepreneur that is building on something, instead of taking your client to a coffee shop or whatever, right, you can literally bring them into our spaces and showcase what your product looks like. And so the legitimacy of what you're doing, the credibility is there. And the reason why we started these hubs was because um, 
we don't have necessarily the garages to tinker in and where if you look if you look at apple's founding story or microsoft's founding story we don't have that kind of infrastructure and so how do we create that kind of infrastructure here to support um uh, women and in our spaces um we actually have these things called the junior and junior hub which are co-play spaces so while you're tinkering your kids are able to kind of um, get edutained on, on, on STEM, which I'm really excited about. So it's how do we bring the power of technology, a gender lens to, to some of the support mechanisms and bringing entrepreneurs into the spaces. So if you're in Cape Town, Johannesburg, and soon East London, you'll be able to kind of come into our spaces um, and co-work, um, innovate, and create. And um, I'm not just trying to kind of build the next wave of billionaires, which I think I am. I'm also trying to build a next wave of cockroaches. Um, and so somebody said, Nadia, how dare you call entrepreneurs cockroaches? And I'm like, cockroaches will survive anything. And in these trying economic times, <laughs> I actually just need a bunch of cockroaches. And that's what we're training entrepreneurs to be. And we'll find the unicorns. They'll grow into unicorns later. But cockroaches is what we're supporting right now. We'll work on the branding on cockroaches. <laughs> But I think that's a great way to end. The show has been live on YouTube and should be on podcast by tomorrow. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast and you feel that it's added value, please share this with somebody you think will also enjoy it. Nadia, thank you so much for your time. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat. Goodbye.